Good morning all. I wanted you, if you'd pray with me for a little bit, would that be cool? E tō mātou matua i te rangi, ngā nei mātou o inoi atu nei, ki e whakapaingia o hautangata tenei whānau, ki e whakapaingia tenei huihuinga tapu, ki e whakapaingia tenei kaufau, tenei kupu. I roto te ingoa o te āriki, i hukaraiti o mātou ka e whakaura. Father God, we, your children, lift our prayer to you today. And Lord, we pray that you would bless your people, this family, who you have brought together. Father, we pray that you would bless this sacred gathering, that you would make yourself known among us. Lord, that you would bless this word, your word, as it goes out, Lord. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Lord, and this morning our hearts also go out to, Lord, those in this world who are suffering. We think of the, pe- the people of Samoa who have suffered great tragedy. We pray for the Ayanga who have lost brothers and sisters, children, parents. And pray, Lord, that you would visit your grace, your love, your comfort upon them. Lord, we also pray for the community of Newtown, Connecticut. Such mindless loss, such evil. And I pray in this time that that community, that school, those families, those parents would look to you and in you they would find comfort and healing. Pour yourself out upon them, I pray, and pour yourself out on us again. In Jesus' name, amen. This world is is messed up, and things like like that happen all too frequently. But God is there too, and He is in His people. And the more we become like Him, the more we can do something about this. The more we can bring His grace, His love to a world that is corrupt and hurting. Jesus is the only hope for this world. And it's through us that he's choosing to bring that hope. We might need to change a little bit though. I want to talk a little bit about that today. A concept that we have been exploring here at The Rock over the last couple of months is uh, the analogy of new wine and wineskins. In our context, we believe that new wine refers to a new outpouring of God's grace and power to transform not just our community, but our city uh, and our nation through us. But as the analogy goes, new wine needs a new wineskin so that we can contain and serve to the world the goodness that God is pouring into us. For the sake of historical accuracy, it's probably fair to say that this pristine, well-tailored, neatly uh, ordered specimen is not exactly representative of a first century wineskin that Jesus alluded to in his metaphor. 
Jesus was probably referring something a little closer to this one. Maybe drinking wasn't as big a problem in Jesus' day because that's what you had to drink out of. Maybe that's the answer to the youth drinking uh, problem here in uh, this country. I propose new legislation where uh, all uh, cheap beer and RTDs must now be sold in <laughs> wineskins. Yeah, right. I hear that, brother. Uh, I think it would start to lose its appeal if you had to suck on the end of one of those. Anyways, a wineskin, if you were not aware, is a uh, container often made from goat skin uh, used for holding wine and other beverages. The problem with animal skin bottles is that they stretch with use and then dry and turn brittle, become prone to cracks. Now, if you were to take an old used wineskin and pour new unfermented wine into it, well, you'd end up with a containment breach. The fermenting wine produces a byproduct of carbon dioxide gas. Uh, it expands, placing the old dried wineskin under pressure they would ultimately split it and spill your happy juice all over the floor. So new wine needs to be kept in new, soft, pliable, stretchable wineskins. You with me? Yeah. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus uses this well-known household tip as an object lesson to help the people of his day understand that the old ways of thinking and engaging with God would not enable people to receive the new covenant, the new outpouring of love and grace that Jesus would usher into the earth. In my last message on this theme, I proposed three key revelations that we would need to receive and embody for God to craft in us the new wineskin we need for the outpouring of grace and power that he has for us. Those three revelations are the true nature of God, our true identity in God, and the nature and purpose of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't mean to suggest that this is the definitive structure for a new wineskin here at the Rock, or that there aren't other things that we need to receive, address, and work through. But I believe that it all starts with these three. And I see throughout Jesus' teaching, he is addressing these three questions. Who is God, who are you, and what is God's kingdom? I still don't think as a global church we are getting it on most of these points. And I believe it all starts with who we believe God is. I think everything in our worldview starts with who we believe God is. That opinion shapes everything else we believe. Whether you believe God is loving Angry, distant, the galactic ruler Zenu, look it up, or you believe in no God at all, this perspective shapes your perception of the world around you and how you engage with it. The religious people who Jesus was primarily addressing in this narrative had a warped perspective on who God was, who they were, 
and what God's kingdom was. Jesus was trying to change that perspective, and he's still working on it. Because, you see, religious people today are still getting it wrong. And those people are in his church. Today I want to talk some more about who God is. Because I believe a lot of us have inherited a warped view of God's character. And it's messing everything up. I'm talking about a distorted view of who God is and what he's like. What's important to him, what his priorities are. This distorted perspective, this faulty theology is producing Christians that aren't very much like Christ. We need to change that because we are making the church less and less relevant to the world, the less like Christ we are. You follow me? Right, let's, let's talk about God some more then. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And we'll read from verse 11. Luke 15, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed um, to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but now is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was brought him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is a wonderful story of grace, of the Father's love, but also about identity, of who we are and who God is. Both of the sons in this story had a distorted view of who their father was and what he really wanted. And this shaped what they thought of themselves and their world. The prodigal son in this story appreciated his father's grace and benevolence enough for him to return to him, but not to his rightful relationship. He was the father's son, and a few wayward years weren't going to change that. God doesn't disown his children because they displease him. He doesn't write them out of the will because they go off the rails for a bit. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn us. The Father doesn't condemn us. We condemn ourselves. We let our sin, or rather the guilt of our sin, push us away from an intimate relationship with God. Guilt is not of God. Guilt harms our relationship with him. It makes us hide from him. Guilt convinces us that we are not worthy. When grace says, I make you worthy. Forgiven means forgiven. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sin no more. Psalm 103 verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. And this one in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 17. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure with water. This passage is about intimacy. God is saying, your sins are forgiven, so draw near to me. I have forgiven you. 
You don't have to do anything or pay anything. And you have nothing to feel guilty about. The debt is paid and I've forgotten about it. So let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. That's what he wants. Jesus went to the cross so that we could have intimacy with the Father again. His sacrifice covered all our sins, past, present, future. This idea that our sin is going to separate us from him is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Jesus' death dealt to that. But it feels like it separates us from him because of the guilt. But Christ's sacrifice dealt to that as well. Any guilt we feel is artificial. That's from the enemy. He wants us separated from God. He wants us distant. He doesn't want us deepening in relationship. So he loves guilt and he pours it on us. And that's the voice we hear. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's what the prodigal son here felt. I'm not worthy. Sure, my father, I hope, will forgive me. But he will forgive me to some kind of employer employee relationship. I'll be like one of the servants. That's not what the father wanted. Forgiven means forgiven. Forgiven to right relationship. He's a son, and that's not going to change. We're God's children. That's not going to change. We've got to drop the guilt because it's hurting our relationship. It's obviously my paraphrase, but look into this verse. That's what it's saying. God is loving. God is merciful. God is gracious. And probably more than you think. We can't continue to think that our sin separates us from God anymore. Because it doesn't, except in our deceived minds. God is okay with us. In fact, he's more than okay with us. He loves us desperately. He doesn't love our sin. You know that. He doesn't love our sin. That goes without saying. But when he looks at you, he doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the filth on you. He has clothed us in righteousness. Regardless of what we're doing and and how we're acting up, Jesus' sacrifice clothed us with his righteousness. So that when God looks on us, he sees the record of Christ. We are redeemed in and out, even when we're not acting like it. This is the position that Jesus has put us in with the Father. We've got to start owning it. The prodigal son made the mistake of thinking that sin had changed who he was and the way his father thought about him. He made the mistake of thinking that his personal righteousness was his father's biggest concern. He was not the only one that felt that way. His older brother, the one who had not run off with the whores, also did not think his younger brother deserved to return with honor. He judged his brother even harder than his younger brother judged himself. His father's grace angered him. And in it, he revealed what he really thought of his father. In his sin, the prodigal son hoped to return to his father 
as a hired servant. And back home, his older brother, this is the exact relationship that he did have with his father. The older brother thought of his father as an employer, handing out orders that would be obeyed with expectation of future payment. This, there was no intimacy, there was no love. The older son was bitter, judgmental, and legalistic. And as such, it infuriated him to see his father act with compassion, with love to his brother. But this attitude also prevented him from receiving his father's love. He defined connection with his father by rules and remuneration, not relationship, not family, not love. It was about the rules, the orders, what I'm supposed to do, at the end of which I'll get some stuff. Does that sound like relationship to you? Obedience without relationship is religion, which is exactly what the Pharisees were trapped in in Jesus' day. Are we trapped in that too? You can't out-sin God's grace. And neither can anyone else. And we need to remember that when we feel compelled to judge others. Jesus didn't judge the woman caught in adultery. He loved her. He forgave her. And he invited her to pursue a new life. That's how Jesus engaged with sinful people. And this, Jesus' encounters when he met people was so different to the religious people. It's an issue summed up in a quote attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. You know, that's what a lot of people think, right? The more and more people get a sense of who Jesus might be, the more they think, what are these Christians on about? A lot of what we prioritize and make a big deal of, they don't seem to see in the, in the teaching and ministry of Jesus so much. We kind of create our, our own worldview, sometimes quite separate from that which Jesus brought. It's not, and this isn't just an opinion that some people have. It's an experience that they have of us. The world isn't going to meet Christ except through us. We're Christ's ambassadors. We're the one that's going to bring his word, his message to them. What is the message that we're bringing to them, though? What kind of Christ are they seeing in us? We need to change that experience. And the only way to do that is for us to change. And for us to allow God to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And that is the Christ of the Bible. 
Not the contemporary Jesus that hates gays, loves smacking kids, and thinks hurricanes and earthquakes are the best way to draw people to himself. We need a new wineskin. And that wineskin is built from the truth that God is not angry with us. He is not waiting to judge us and punish us. He has no condemnation for us. It starts with us. I'm talking here about the body of Christ, his family, his people. Somehow, that God is too hard to engage with because in our minds, we are too corrupted for him. So we conjure up another God for ourselves, a God that does make sense. Because unlimited grace, for some reason, is beyond our comprehension. So we settle for unlimited legalism. Because that we can understand. We, can, we love boundaries. We understand right and wrong, and we prefer it that way. Right and wrong, black and white, it's not messy. And we can apply it to ourselves and we can apply it to others. Grace is messy. It's difficult to receive, it's difficult to give to others, but grace is the one thing that heals us all and saves us all. But we can't understand it. And so the God in our heads is a judge, he's not a father, he's a slave master not a friend, and he's angry. He's angry all the time at all the sin in the world. And maybe I've overemphasized that point a bit. Um, I don't want you to get the impression that I believe God doesn't care about sin. God's holiness, his purity, his righteousness goes without saying. But he has forgiven us, and that means he doesn't hold that to us anymore. Sin isn't a problem for us anymore because God's dealt with it. Maybe our flesh is still trying to catch up to that. Sanctification will continue and we will grow more into the likeness of Christ. He has promised that he will complete the good work he started in us. But we are continually making sin the issue for ourselves. And we hold it up there ourselves and push God away because of the sin which is already forgiven. We need to drop that. We need to let it go. We also need to drop the sin that we are holding up in front of the world. Do you think it's our job to condemn and judge the world? Do you think that's why God's left us here on earth? To make sure all the sinful people know how evil they are? Do you think that draws people to the Lord? That's not what Jesus did when he was on earth. Ignore everything I've said today. Don't download the message. Just read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and read how Jesus dealt with people. He just, he was so weird because he was so loving and gracious. The broken, hurting, sinful people of the world were drawn to him. And how did he deal with them? He loved them. He forgave them. He gave them a new way to live. He healed their brokenness. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? As his people on earth, now his ambassadors? To do that, we have got to stop holding up people's sins in front of them and bringing condemnation because that's not what our Christ did. 
We need to return to the Christ of the Bible, not the one we've made up. We have got to get our theology right. We've got to get a better understanding of who God really is and what he's really like. We need to let that truth then shape our identity. I am not a sinner. That is not who I am. I am saved, redeemed, a prince of the kingdom of heaven. His power is on me. I carry his name. You mess with me, you mess with him. That's who I am now. I have a glorious inheritance waiting for me in the eternal kingdom. On this earth now, I am going to accomplish amazing and mighty things for him. That's who I am. That's who you are. I am not a sinner. And I will not let my stumbling, my mistakes change that. He doesn't change the way he thinks about me. And I've got to get his perspective on me. This, I believe, is the first crucial stitch in the new wineskin God is pleading for us to take up. This knowledge changes everything. And be encouraged. God wants you to know him. He doesn't want to hide himself from you. He wants you to explore and experience who he really is. So let's seek him. More of him. Let's reject the distorted view that we've inherited, that we've been handed down, that we hear others talking about. Let's find the real Jesus, the real Father. I think you'll like him better. All right. Let's pray. I want to thank you, Lord, just this morning for the mystery of your grace. That goes certainly beyond my comprehension. I don't know why you love me. I don't know how it is that you can overlook all my brokenness, all my failings, and how you can pull me out of that muck, wipe me off, and call me your son. I don't get that. But I love you for it, and I receive it this morning. And I worship you today and honor you as my father my eternal loving Father. And I pray, Lord, just for any lie of the enemy, any distortion, which does not truly reflect who you are, any of that which is in me that you would rip off right now. I want to pray that, Lord, over my brothers and sisters here this morning, that you would just rip that off now. Any image, any picture, any word, which distorts who you truly are. I pray that you would break that off. Any past hurt which has warped people's impression of you, I pray that you would break that off now and just bring healing. I pray for each one of my friends here today that you would just put in its place a true picture of who you are. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I pray, Lord, that we would see you now. I pray, Lord, that you just inscribe this on our hearts, Lord. 
that our Father loves us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And nothing can take us from His hand. I pray, Lord, you'd restore your people to full relationship with you. And I know on your side you've done that. So I pray, Lord, you'd wake us up to that now. Our Father is not angry with us. He loves us and he misses us. Bring us home, Lord. Bring us home. And then I pray, Lord, that this aroha, this love, then would just flow through us to bless this world around us. That they would come to know this loving Father through his children who are so in love with their daddy. Lord, I believe this is only accomplished, Lord, through a miracle of your spirit. So I pray, Lord, just right across this room now, your spirit would flow, Lord, that you would soften hearts, you would soften minds and attitudes, Lord, which have set up walls against you. I pray you'd break them down and would see you and ourselves for who we truly are. This is our God. Amen.